Hello, and welcome to the Win-Win Podcast by Highspot. Join us as we dive into changing trends in the workplace and how to navigate them successfully. I'm your host, Marissa Benrom. Gartner recently reported that 41% of employees are likely to remain remote post-coronavirus pandemic. So what are some best practices for training, specifically onboarding for a remote workforce? I've asked my friend Seamus Thompson, Hootsuite's manager of global sales enablement, to join us as we explore this topic. Welcome, Seamus, and thank you for joining us. Can you introduce yourself and your role to the audience, please? Thank you so much for having me, Marissa. Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, my name is Seamus. I'm in the sales enablement team here at Hootsuite. I've uh, been at Hootsuite now for about seven and a half years and uh, in enablement the last four and a half. So I focus on supporting our entire revenue organization within the uh, sales enablement team currently sitting in our sales operations department. Thank you, Seamus. So since the start of the pandemic, virtual training and onboarding have become so much more important for organizations, but particularly for sales who are the main drivers of revenue. And because of that, it's really important that they get new sellers up and running as fast as possible and as effective as possible. I know onboarding is an area of interest for you because, again, it can mean the difference between a great seller or one who struggles to hit quota for you know a few months or quarters even. Can you tell us what your biggest onboarding goals are for the next six to 12 months? Yeah, it's a good one. We have a lot of ambitious goals around this. And um, you know, I think the, the move to virtual has, has really caused us to have to look at this a lot more closely. One of the things that I'm really keenly interested in better understanding is how our onboarding efforts really set up our ongoing employee experiences and, and ultimately their development. So, and how we can further tailor those experiences to really give them what they need in a much quicker way. That's going to be one of the big focuses for 2021. Right. And do you feel like with this move to make sure that everyone can get what they need a lot quicker, you have seen anything in particular that has helped you um, accomplish that goal? So is it tools? Is it processes? Where have you kind of found success with making sure that your sellers are, or I guess, entire org that you support is getting what they need as timely as possible? Yeah, so I think it comes down to a couple of things. It's it's really about visibility and, and communication. Um, you know, having visibility through our technology and um, understanding how people are potentially experiencing that onboarding experience and um, then in turn being able to reach out and connect with those individuals and better understand what that experience is like and what we can do to continue to refine it and improve upon it has, has been a, a key win for us to date. I know Hootsuite culture is really important to you guys in supporting the growth of your organization. So how have you kind of found success in nurturing company culture while also supporting that growth mindset? Culture for me, it's, it's really about, you know, beliefs and behaviors. And uh, I think one of the most important things to focus on first is really what you're measuring. So, for example, I think about one of the best measures of, of revenue growth actually is LTV or lifetime value. Right, from a customer standpoint, it's it's really prioritizing that customer experience, and you know, culture often stems from the top. Uh, we're fortunate we have a new leader, Tom, as uh, our new CEO, and he's got a real focus on on the growth mindset and and bringing that into the conversation, which in turn is helping us in you know our revisiting our values and and where we're reinforcing in the business. 
It's always really nice when you have a leader who shares the same values and it's coming from the top down, right? You don't have to worry so much about driving this initiative alone because now it's coming from the top and you get to say, okay, we all have this vision now. It is a company-wide initiative and I'm not just (laughs) over in the corner tinkering and doing it on my own. I have some support here. Um, You mentioned a little bit about visibility being important. Can you kind of dive into how you cultivate visibility and accountability in your onboarding program in particular? Yeah, of course. Visibility and accountability might be my two favorite words. Um, (laughs) Same. (laughs) uh, So for visibility, uh, for me, it really comes down to, you know, what you can see from the data you have available. Um, You know, we're often limited to subjective qualitative data, which in turn is often filled with a lot of bias. Um, You know, so getting that quantitative data really allows us to start asking better questions, getting to more root cause more effectively. Um, We've used Highspot actually in a number of instances to help us do this and really just trying to light into areas that are are relatively dark speaking. Um, and, And that's been fantastic. Accountability um, maybe the more challenging of the two. Usually is. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and I think it really comes down to trust. It, it, you need to be able to establish trust before you can gain anyone's accountability. Um, it sort of inherently stems from the individual. And uh, I often I have to say trust is the currency of movement. If you want to move forward, you need to establish trust. And if you find yourself moving in the wrong direction, it's likely an area you need to revisit. So from my experience, sometimes this can involve working through stakeholders uh, who already have that trust in place in order to reduce the amount of time you have to spend developing it yourself. So not be limited by the circle of trust that you have, extend that into the stakeholders you work with as well. Yeah. Can you share an example of someone's new, you know, it's a new leader you haven't worked with before. How are you kind of um, gaining that trust so that you can hold their team accountable or hold their, you know, frontline sellers accountable um, when everything is kind of distant from what it used to be and being able to have these conversations in person and, you know, meeting someone and building that trust um, in person, I think is a lot easier than virtually. Um, so what are some recommendations that you kind of have around doing that? Yeah, I think don't do it alone. Um, it's, it's about establishing that sphere of influence around the people that you want to work with and, you know, trust is earned over time and it's earned through, you know, exposure and experience that, that you have. So recognize where there's opportunities to work with other people that are already in that sphere of trust and influence and, and, and work closely with them to sort of align around what that common goal is. And, you know, it'll only expedite your time towards trust with the individuals you want to work with as well. I love that. And when you mentioned visibility, you kind of talked about um, one of the metrics of success for culture being lifetime value. Can you dive into what the top three metrics that you look at for success when regarding onboarding and how does our audience kind of discover what the metrics of success are for them and what have they been for you? Yeah, great question. There's a, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things you can measure and. Um, and, and measurement and tracking, I think, are maybe two sides of a coin. Um, so when I think about, you know, tra- measuring success, I, I think about it from the context often of like, 
you know, average contract value, time to close, so pipeline velocity, you know, things like that. Um, obviously, we, th- we talk a lot about ARR and, and SaaS, but uh, I think LTV is, is another one that more organizations are, are recognizing as important. When I look at sort of the, the tracking side, it's, for me, it's a lot more about, you know, leading indicators as well um, and seeing how engaged are reps. You know, what's sort of the volume and frequency that they're engaging with the resources that we provide to them, the training or the content or whatever it is. Um, it's a good indicator of sort of the level of investment that they're putting into themselves. Another area that we look at is how are they showing up, right? So we use things like call intelligence and other platforms to help us get an indication of, you know, how well they're adopting the, the material and the training that we're providing to them. And, uh, and it's then sort of looking at effectiveness and, and you know, what are win rates and are they look, are they, um, are they approaching the right opportunities? Are they making the right kind of decisions and, uh, and, and digging into those areas? Yeah. Have you found that any of your metrics have shifted or changed since um, moving to a fully remote workforce? I would say there, there's a, a natural sort of evolution and I'm not sure that, that the, the virtual side has necessarily been the, the driving force behind that yet. Um, but I'm suspecting as we continue to evolve our approach into 2021, there may be some more learnings that we'll have around that. But to date, it's, it's um, no, there, there hasn't been anything that sort of stands out as like, oh, now we're virtual. Now the measures change. Right, right. That's really interesting, I think, because so much has changed as a result of virtual life, but so much has stayed the same when it comes to, hey, these are the things that are important. This is still our North Star. And that continuity for me personally has been very um, satisfying and, um, you know, helped a lot with this transition to say, okay, my job maybe has shifted in the way I'm going about it. However, my key metrics of success, my KPIs, you know, the things that I need to accomplish on a grand scale have remained the same. And so I think it does take a little bit of the stress off for, you know, managers like yourself to say, hey, we still have the same goals. It just may look different the way that we go about executing them. So you mentioned when tracking what sellers are doing and ensuring that it kind of aligns to these goals or KPIs. How do you know if certain actions that are being taken by sellers, certain behaviors are necessarily the right ones? How do you kind of make that correlation between a seller, you know, is sending 50 emails a week that has equated to them meeting quota? How do you go back to the metrics and behaviors and kind of connect those two with performance? So look at it from a couple of perspectives. Um, one is, you know, looking for sort of those, the early warning signs, you know, there's a, there's a level of um, looking at the data and, and, and tracking or monitoring it to see, you know, oh, this particular group hasn't necessarily adopted at the rate that we see for, you know, the broader cohort that we're uh, rolling out something to. That's a bit of a flag that we can then chase down in a more specific way. When it comes to measuring, though, you know, typically we're, we're more focused on more official things that we've already got in place. So I think about like sales process, right? And how are our teams adhering to our sales process? And, and, and those are very quantified, measurable steps that involve both our, you know, ourselves and our customers and, and really help us understand how we're moving along. Um, and, and so that's probably where we do most of our measurement relative to that. But there is value in the the tracking um, and, and those early warning flags for us. 
So Seamus, I think you and I both understand and know the importance of training and onboarding for sales teams, especially now more than ever. Can you, you know, taking a step back and kind of getting broad, can you just share your thoughts and insights on why onboarding is so important? If we're speaking to a sales leader, what value you know, do you really see when looking at metrics, um, looking at behaviors and performance tied to onboarding? Yeah, I'd say onboarding is is very important. It's the first impression that someone has with your organization. Um, it can really set the tone for what that uh, individual's experience is and becomes. So getting that right is critical. And, you know, now uh, living in this virtual world, there's, there is more consideration that we have to have around how are we improving that experience and adapting that experience to this environment. Because there's things that we would have relied on previously with face-to-face interaction and all the benefits of that. Um, and I think that we need to recognize that this is also an opportunity for us to, to go deeper in terms of how we are tailoring that sort of corporate orientation and onboarding into these longer periods. So maybe onboarding was, you know, weeks before now it's months, you know, maybe it was a couple of months. Now it's, it's several months. It's looking at a longer tail to what onboarding is and how we can tailor that more to each of the different uh, teams as well as individuals within those teams. Um, I think it's is a really good opportunity for us to recognize that we don't want to put top performers through an experience that you know is is more focused on engaging potential you know coaching opportunity type of performer that's going to chase them out the door so this is a real opportunity for us to go deeper right i completely agree that it has to be tailored especially if it's a longer tail program because if i'm a top performer and i consistently hit my numbers and the training i'm going to for 3 hours you know a week is about engaging customers well that's not really content that i need to consume it's probably for a different audience so how do you when looking at tailoring programs are you going by hey here are the three buckets that we think are the most important and here are the sellers that fall within the buckets. And so therefore they will go to these individual lessons, programs, trainings, um, whatever the term may be. How are you deciding here's who should do what as far as continued education and um, tailored onboarding programs? I think an important piece here is to allow people to sort of self-select to an extent into this through their, their actions, their behaviors. Um, you know, the people that want to lean in more should be given more. People that that maybe aren't taking the opportunity to 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 dive into what they're given, we need to recognize that as a different type of uh, experience that we need to to align around. And so, you know, whether it's bringing in more of a you know buddy system to support those individuals that aren't as engaged, and trying to find other ways to bring them in and get them more engaged. And conversely, with folks that, that are leaning in, how do we get their IP more distributed within our organization? How do we connect them with other parts of the business that want to hear from our sales organization, right? And make sure that they're given that opportunity to sort of share their expertise within the business and reward them that way. 
you said something and a light bulb went off of a question to ask. Like you said, it's self-selection to a certain extent and the participant, the seller, you know, whatever their job title may be, has to want to be there. And how do you kind of get these sellers or managers on board and subscribed to what you're putting down, essentially, if they're, you know, detractors who don't really think that they need this, they're tenured, they've been selling for 15 years, they don't need one more onboarding program, how do you kind of win them over and get them really bought in on recommendations that you may have? Yeah, I think one of the areas is is just showing results. Um, you know, seeing is believing for most. And uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, over overcoming the objections of critics, I think you just have to find, find ways. And, and sometimes maybe you have to get creative, but, but you have to find ways to sort of show them in, in a way that they'll, they'll see and recognize that, that, you know, there's an opportunity just waiting for them if they want to take it. And, you know, we're, we're not in the business of, standing behind people and pushing them. Um, but we're absolutely in the business of leaning down and pulling people up that want to be pulled up. Um, and I think that it's just important to recognize that, you know, um, we're all, well, most of us, I imagine, suffer from a resource constraint Boy. Um, in, our, in our roles. And uh, <laughs> with a finite amount of bets to place, you want, to make sure you maximize your results. And, uh, and so, you know, yeah, I, I am going to bias towards helping those that want to be helped probably more, um, than, than even I'd like to, right. I'd love to help everybody, but, um, but my, my default is help people that want to be helped first. I, I love that term that you used. I'm in the business of pulling people up who want to be pulled up. And I think that's actually pretty powerful when looking at training and onboarding, because like you said, you can't force anyone to do anything. What you can do is if someone is struggling and they want to get better or figure out where they're falling flat, then you're all bought in. Then I know how to help you. I know what you're looking for. And I think oftentimes with training, onboarding, you know, any change management role is I can't help you if I don't know what you need. And so I think that's really was what was at the heart of when you said tailoring programs and trainings to what the rep in front of you really needs to improve on. And so I loved that idea of, you know, I can only do so much. So Seamus, what has helped you in building an effective and efficient onboarding program? Yeah, some of the things that uh, have been really beneficial for us in our development of onboarding programs has, has really been gaining that visibility into what's working and what's not working. And it, it can seem like a kind of an obvious thing, but for our, our processes, we didn't have any kind of real granular visibility into just how effective was our onboarding efforts. And so by starting to leverage the technology and high spot was critical in this to gain that visibility into how our our new owls were going through their onboarding experience the the level to which they were going through and engaging with the resources provided to them it, it really allowed us to start to see the connection between the people that were embracing that experience and the people that weren't and in turn we were able to work with our business leaders to build out on that more and put more structure and, and really accountability 
into that process. And uh, that really solidified that trust element that uh, allowed us to continue to build and refine our, our efforts there. Um, and it really did start with just gaining visibility into, you know, what's working, what's not working. I think maybe if there's, if there's one thing I would leave on, it would be learning is a learned skill. And uh, it's important to recognize that because it's something that can be developed and coached, but it's not something we can just assume everybody has developed already. Can you dive a little deeper into your experience with that? So for me, there's really two qualities that are uh, really important in, in, uh, in what goes into a successful rep. Um, emotional intelligence, which is, is really about that interpersonal skill you know, and the ability to control the pressure and stress and, and adapt to the uncertainties of the job. Another area that we don't often spend a lot of time on is, is curiosity and uh, the notion of the curiosity quotient. And this is, to me, one of the areas where it really stands out because one of the things that sort of identifies people that have a higher degree of curiosity is their willingness to invest in their own level of understanding and knowledge on a subject. They tend to go far deeper than, you know, their peers that lack that level of natural curiosity. And so that's easier for us to identify from, from one standpoint, but it's also in how they show up in conversation too, right? It's, it's the way they approach a discovery conversation with a customer. And it just ultimately combining these two things leads to a better buying experience. And so when I say, yeah, learning is a learned skill, it is, but it's a very identifiable skill. And it's one that, you know, I'm always looking for. Right, right. And have you found that curiosity and emotional intelligence are the hallmarks for a great seller or someone who is just going to be very successful within a training program? Both. I think they are hallmarks of great salespeople. Perhaps they're not requirements per se, or we haven't made them requirements yet from a traditional selling context. Um, I think that'll change, to be honest, over time. I think as we continue to move into this buyer's world, we're going to start to recognize that these are actually the new things that we want. You know, we're not looking for quote unquote closers and, you know, all these sort of more historical things that we've associated with what great sellers look like. So yeah, I think the future great seller is the current great learner. This virtual forward environment, I think you are absolutely right, is going to require someone with a decent to high emotional intelligence and curiosity because you no longer get the luxury of being personable in person. You have to be personable on an email, you know, um, over Slack, whatever it may be on the phone. And so you lose some of that charisma that you can turn on when you're in person and are shaking someone's hand. You have to be able to translate that through emails and phone calls now. And you have to be more curious to go find your own answers now that you can't turn around and ask Seamus anymore. Gartner um, recently said that they're expecting 35 to 40% of sellers not to return back to the office and remain remote. If that is the case, 35 to 40% of people who are selling virtually right now will remain selling virtually. Curiosity and emotional intelligence is going to be detrimental to their success. Yep. If we are going to list a few takeaways from this conversation, that would be visibility, accountability, and trust. 
you can't do it without those three things. Completely agree with that. Perfect. Well, Seamus, thank you so much for your time. This has been an amazing conversation and I have enjoyed every minute of it. It's always a pleasure to work with you and thank you for joining the Win Win Podcast. Thank you so much, Marissa. Marissa.